back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. And today I have the long-awaited guest, Braden Brodeur. Uh, I've been looking forward to chatting with Braden for a while. Uh, he's a youth worker at Marketplace Chapel at the West Edmonton Mall. The chapel is staffed by Christians and provides spiritual and religious care to shoppers, employees, and wanderers. Uh, the West Edmonton Mall is the second largest mall in North America at 5.3 million square feet, um, with over 800 stores and services, including nine attractions, two hotels, and over 100 dining venues in the complex, parking for more than 20,000 vehicles, uh, more than 24,000 employees. Uh, the mall receives about 32 million visitors per year. And each day that works out to somewhere between 90,000 and 200,000 shoppers, depending on the day and the season. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's the kind of place where uh, you could probably live and never leave. Uh, I first heard about uh, the Marketplace Chapel from Bob Gal. Bob's been a, a return guest uh, on our podcast. And Bob had years of involvement at Marketplace Chapel. Uh, and then I heard about um, uh, you, Braden, from, uh, from both from Bob and from Debbie Kunst from Father's House in downtown Edmonton. Uh, both of those uh, people are spirit-led activists who couldn't say enough good things about you. So you come highly recommended. Welcome, Braden. Good to have you on the podcast today. Nice, thanks for having me. I just appreciate this opportunity. I'm excited. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, um, before we get too deep, uh, let's talk a little bit about your uh, history with Bob Gal and Debbie Kuntz. What can you oh, tell me about those people? That's not a, that's not a little history, but uh, <laughs> so uh, Debbie Kuntz was actually my children's pastor way back when I was like seven years old, when my family moved to Edmonton. So I've known Debbie since I was a, a wee little kid. And so with Debbie, she had a huge influence on my life because if you've listened before, you probably heard her share about father's house and that sort of stuff. So when I was 15 years old, I started doing the street ministry with Debbie. So going out to downtown Edmonton day after day or like week after week, and we would feed the homeless on the streets. And then we'd go and we'd pray at different places. We'd pray at prison. We'd pray at bars that were taking advantage of people. We'd pray at a peep show. And so like we went from place to place praying. And so when I was a teenager, I'd, I would see all these different things through the ministry that Debbie led. So we'd go and we'd pray at one of the sketchy bars downtown and it closed. Then we went and we prayed at the peep show and then it closed. Then we went and prayed at the liquor store and then it closed. Then we went and prayed for a church and that's how Father's House got planted. So I've been with Debbie with Father's House pretty much since day one. So that's exciting. And now Bob Gal, on the other hand, you know, Bob Gal was like someone who always lived on the peripherals of your life. Like you knew of him, but mm -hmm. didn't really know much. So I've been family friends with like his daughter and his grandkids. Didn't know that that was Bob Gal until years later. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I'm like, wait, your grandpa's Bob Gal? That's crazy. And so Bob <laughs> was the one who invited me to join at the uh, West Edmonton Mall Chapel. So that was exciting. And yeah, both of those people have been very influential in my life. Yeah, you know, Bob um, has always uh, taken an interest in uh, people that were beginning in ministry. And mm -hmm. uh, in fact, uh, that's how I met him. I was uh, a Bible college student and, uh, and then in my first youth pastorate, and uh, Bob would come and speak at camps and retreats and different events. And this was back in his Ontario days. And uh, he had such a profound effect on me. I, um, uh, at one point, I had uh, entertained seriously going on the road with Bob and his family. And uh, that didn't materialize. But uh, it, to this day, uh, he just has that heart to to come alongside and mentor and, and encourage and fan the flames. And uh, as I've been getting to know Debbie, uh, Debbie uh, is, I think, cut from very similar cloth. Uh, she's, she's just a, 
incredible person. Yeah. Well, um, what about your your own, um, before we talk about the chapel, let's talk a bit about your own spiritual history. Um, how, how'd you discover the mission of God in your life? Mm. Um, you know, going back to, you mentioned Debbie was uh, the children's pastor when you were seven years old. And uh, uh, so I imagine God, God had an early start with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I remember like the initial call to ministry probably would have been like, you know, in the teenage years, like there's part of me that just knew I was going to go into ministry. Didn't really make sense, but I knew it. Yep. And then volunteering with Pastor Debbie and doing all of the homeless outreach was just incredibly valuable for building my faith because we pray for people and we just see answers like that day. Like it was a wild faith building experience because I grew up like in the suburbs, not really downtown much. So downtown was very shocking compared to a normal life. So it really stretched me. It forced me to see faith in action, which was really good for building my faith journey. And so that was my teenage years. Like I grew up with parents taking me to church and then like graduated high school, knew I should go into ministry. And then I was like, eh, I shouldn't go into ministry. That's crazy. So I got a job, worked like groundskeeping. And for like, did that for a year and a half. And then I went on a trip to Europe with my grandmother. Bless her soul. I love my grandma. And she takes all of her grandchildren on one trip when they graduate. And I'm the favorite. So I asked, let's go to Europe, grandma. <laughs> like my sister went to like Phoenix. She's still mad about that. She's like, Brayden got to go all the way to Europe. But whatever. She said, yes. Yeah. So, so I'm walking down the streets of Amsterdam. We just gotten like in. And I was just like going for a walk, checking out the area. And I had an experience that was very, like, completely unorthodox to me. And I, I felt like I almost audibly heard God say, you will come back here. And it was like a call on my life that I've, like, it was crazy. Never anything like it before, never anything since. Wild. So then I went, finished my trip, went back home, quit my job, went to Bible college, and started interning at Father's House. So then I interned with Father's House through my entire Bible college career. And then I worked there for over three years afterwards until Bob invited me out to the chapel. So Father's House was a great time of learning, very challenging because I was working there for like six months before COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And you can't feed the homeless from home. Can't do that over Zoom. So oh. a whole host of new challenges, of new things to discover and work through and figure out. So it's been a, it's been a good time. And yeah, the last year and a half, I've been hanging out in a mall, it turned into a mall rat. It's terrifying. <laughs> well, West Edmonton mall, um, I was, I've never been there, but, uh, looking at it online, I think, oh man, how have I not been there? looks like such an incredible, uh, fun place, but the, um, so you and I, let's say we get on, um, an elevator and uh, we're going up uh, 30 stories. So you got about three minutes to do the elevator pitch. And uh, so um, I happen maybe to notice that you have something on you that says Marketplace Chapel. Mm -hmm. So, hey, Braden, uh, what is Marketplace Chapel? Uh, what is it and what happens there? Nice. Yeah, so the chapel in West Edmonton Mall, it is such a unique expression of the church. It is a place where people can go during mall hours between 10 in the morning and nine at night. And you can run into a, a good Christian who knows the word, who knows the Lord and wants to share it. So the Marketplace Chapel, most of all, is a ministry of presence. We're here to be present in the marketplace. As people go to the mall, they go to shop, they go to have fun, they go to swim in West Edmonton Mall, they go to go on roller coasters. But we're here to interrupt all of the busyness of life and say, hey, like we are a ministry of presence. We're here for you to connect with something more important than shopping, something more important than the water slide, something more important than going to the rec room and playing pool. So we're here to, to be the church where the church isn't. It's to serve as sort of like, yeah, to serve as an outreach spot for churches to come and do ministry. But most of all, it's just an outreach. It's an outreach to the mall of, like you said, of 24,000 employees and 32 million visits a year. Like that's crazy. That is crazy. 
Um, so how, how is the chapel uh, structured and supported? Is it a, is it a charity? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a, under a church? How does it work? Yeah. So the chapel is a Christian charity. It's its own identity. It is mm -hmm. a uh, interdenominational uh, Christian group. So they have like a statement of faith, but as long as you agree to the basic statement of faith, uh, you are church or you can serve out of the chapel. So it's very bit, it's been interesting for me because I come from a PAOC background and now I'm working with a bunch of reformers. So like mm -hmm. very, very different, but we put aside our denominational differences and we agree on the fact that we're here to show people the good news of Jesus Christ. And so then to answer questions like finances, it's mainly spot funded by just generous donors and people who believe in it. I know the chapel's looking to get more church partnerships right now, but that's, uh, it's beyond my pay grade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, when you and I were talking on another occasion, uh, you were telling me that, um, uh, just sort of the uniqueness of, uh, your ministry with the chapel and, uh, how, you know, different, different volunteers, different pastors or chaplains, um, they all kind of have their own um, specialty, if you will. Um, like you, you're telling me about the, how the reformed guys, what, what their encounters look like. And, and so talk a little bit about just the variety of ministry styles there. And, uh, and then also, um, where you really have found your niche. Mm, yeah, there is a huge variety of ministry styles. I know my first day, like one of my first days, one of the more reformed guys hands me like the book of common prayer and me being a dirty Pentecostal kind of like burn my hands a little bit. I'm like tradition. This is crazy. It's just new to me, <laughs> new experiences, like not yeah. to, like, so, so it's been very cool that when people are serving, God tends to bring in those you can, serve something I've learned at the chapel we have a lady she has such a heart for people she loves working with people and she's so good at sitting and listening and just pouring into people's lives and whenever she's there people with trauma tend to come into the chapel and she's just talking for two hours and she's mm -hmm. very good at caring for those with trauma mm -hmm. I have one guy very he's he's facts and logic and no emotion it is wild so <laughs> but when he comes in he talks with the people who want to have like those deep, hard conversations. He's the one who tends to engage with like Muslims who Muslims come in and they want to debate like who really is Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's a big question, has huge implications. And so when, when the guy with all the facts are in, it tends to bring in people like that. When I come in, I have started doing some of the youth programs. And so when I'm in, I find teenagers just show up like crazy. And it is, it is terrifying because instead of having youth ministry like one day a week, I have youth ministry like five days a week, oh. except there's no like planned events or anything. They just show up. So you figure out something to do. So they come into the chapel. They come into the chapel a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When I first started, I started running a once a week youth drop in out of the chapel. I'd walk through the food court for like two weeks and just say, Hey, this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Haven't had to advertise since. Wow. And the chapel is not a big space. Like you can maybe seat like 40. Wow. And most weeks we get about 80 to 100 youth coming through. So they come over a couple hours in a Thursday, which helps, but still. Yeah, that's, that's uh, <clears throat> larger, than, uh, larger than a lot of youth groups, you know, to, to have that kind of um, involvement and, and, and daily involvement. Like a lot of youth pastors, um, they will see their, their group a couple times a week, right? Mm -hmm. youth night and maybe some other event or at church and and uh but you're you're one-on-one -on -one and and uh small grouping all the time all the time yeah and okay so um i if i was um <clears throat> if i was a, a teen at the mall um it would be kind of odd to just look in, at the sign and say marketplace chapel and go into it um, do you, do you, do you find there's a, a curiosity or do you find, uh, that there are people that are afraid to come in, uh, or is it completely opposite? Uh, yeah, I find there's, it's a mix between curiosity and like, what is this place? 
mm-hmm. like lots of people of all ages they walk by and they look in and they're like what <laughs> what is it because the chapel it doesn't look very traditional like church style it looks more like a coffee shop which mm-hmm. has its pros and its cons it's, the pros are it's very good for sitting there's booths for conversation cons are no one knows what it is so you have to be very intentional reach out signage and that sort of stuff there. Uh, and so there's lots of people who come and they'll like stare in uh, and then they'll walk by and then they'll come back another time. Mm-hmm. I find teenagers are great because once you get that initial group, they just invite people in. Mm-hmm. And then once they have friends in there, they just walk in there. Yeah. So getting the, the initial base was probably the hardest part. And now it's just like, how do I keep up? How do I like maintain? Because I've, I've been there a year and I did not expect to be running like a youth ministry of this size. So now it's more like, how do I maintain something like this? How do I trade more volunteers? How do I build beyond just what I currently have? Because the need is so great. And there's one thing I think most people don't understand. I didn't understand this until I started working there. Is that people go to the mall every day. Every single day. I work there. I'm there like five days a week. And there are people there more than me. So. So like it becomes, it's its own little village, or large village of people. Sorry, go ahead. What hours do you work? Uh, right now, because I just started with Missions Canada, I'm not there as much because I have to get my uh, fundraising and my mission stuff up. But usually I work uh, in the evening. So I try to do about like uh, one to nine is my most common shift mm-hmm. most days, most weekdays. So and then there's of, always the odd Saturday. A lot of youth yeah. would be heading to the mall right. after school. Yes. Yeah. Talk to me about um, uh, about uh, the mall rats, the 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 kids that go hang out at the mall. What are you seeing? Your other well, lots. Lots. A. You see lots of them. There's huge. There's about four schools in the area. So after school. Tons of them come, so come on the thousands, and on a slow day at the mall, you're getting ninety thousand people. Wow! So it's like that's a slow day at Christmas and stuff. I think it's like a quarter of a million people come through the mall every day. So when it comes to mall rats, who are there every day, there's the elderly mall rats. So they're the ones you get to meet with in the mornings and in the afternoons. They come and they walk through the mall and they get their coffee. So you engage with those mall rats very differently than you engage with the teenage mall rats, obviously. But there's one lady every day. She comes into the mall. She says hi to me. She walks down to the cinnamon bun store. She gets her coffee and she sits there for four hours. And people come and just sit and talk with her. She's 87 years old and that is her daily habit. So she just sits down and people come to her. So, so reaching out to that older sort of demographic. It's very different because you just sit down and say, hey, I'm Braden. I get you coffee and you sit and talk with them. And then once you talk with them a few times, then you're expected to talk with them. So now you have an in with their group. So then you start to meet all of their old people, mall rat friends. And then there's the young people, mall rats. And there doesn't tend to be much of the middle age because they have jobs and families and stuff. They're not in the mall every day. Then the, then the youth mall rats, they're again, heavy after school. So there's like this big rush from like three to seven o'clock. So they engage with them again. Like when I started running a youth program, I just went through the, through the, one of the food courts a few times and to build up other ways I try to connect is just to be present in the mall. So like do things with the youth in the mall. So like, I'll go to the gym, there's a gym in this mall and I'll go and you don't wear headphones in the gym because if you're doing ministry and wearing headphones, what are you doing? No one, right. you can't engage with people. You can't do outreach and wear headphones. It's just, uh... so you, you go to the gym, you sit with headphones or sit without headphones and you're just working out and you just talk to people. Mm-hmm. Just make little, little conversations, engage with people. And then the more consistent you're there. And cause I'm there like, like I'm at the gym three or four times a week. You really start to get to know the people who go at that time. So then you get to like build up on those conversations. So a few months ago we had, a crazy encounter at the gym where I went to the gym. There were some of the teenagers that I knew from the chapel there. And one of the non-Christian kids he comes up to me. He says, Brayden, I want you to meet my friend. My friend wants to convert to Christianity. He used that very old school language. And I thought he was just lying because if you've ever worked with teenagers, they lie to you for the first two weeks they know you. Like they never give you their real name the first time. And I'm just like, okay, 
You just do this song and dance and you get through it. But yeah, he's like, Braden, my friend wants to convert to Christianity. And I'm like, okay. So then I met him, sat with him. Turns out he actually did. He wanted to convert to Christianity. So at the gym, we're talking about all this stuff. And I'm like, hey, how about here? Come back to the chapel with me after the gym. Let's talk. So I talked with him for probably like three hours. And I asked him like all sorts of questions. So like, hey, like, what do you know about the Bible? What do you know about Jesus? What do you know about being a Christian? He's like, just what I've seen on TV. He's never been to church, never been anywhere. Because I asked him, like, you ever been? No. So then, so then I say, so why? Why Jesus? Why Christianity? Why do you want to be a follower of Christ? And he said to me, it just seems right. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm not arguing. So prayed with him and I've been meeting with him and then meeting with him for discipleship pretty much every week since. And now our little one-on-one -on -one discipleship has turned into a discipleship group where he brings his friends from the gym and we're going through like, what is sin? What does it mean to repent? What is the gospel? All because it seemed right at the gym to convert to Christianity. Do you feel so like, works. do you feel like Go there's ahead. a, do you feel like there's a, a genuine spiritual hunger uh, in a lot of the, a lot of the youth or is it just kind of the odd one out? I think there's some spiritual hunger. There's definitely, I think there's an acknowledgement of the spiritual a lot more than in like my generation. Mm -hmm. I think in the younger generation, there's a lot more openness to spiritual things, but they just don't know anything. Right. Like I was looking at like some stats Canada statistics and it was like 53% of people have never attended any religious service. That's a crazy number. That is. So, so, and again, it tended to be the older generations who went to church and then they stopped going to church and so their kids stopped going to church. So then the third generation down, their kids know nothing. There mm -hmm. is no, like, there's no positive, but there's also no negative about faith, about Jesus, about Christ. They're just kind of, it exists to teenagers, but do they know what it is? No. Mm. However, I find there's a hunger to ask good questions. So like, if you ask good questions to teenagers, they'll respond well. They respond very thoughtfully. So when I say, hey, what, what is the meaning of your life? That's one of my, mm -hmm. one of the strategies that I use when talking to people is I just ask a lot of questions and I just accept that it's awkward. Sometimes people are like, oh, it gets easier and it gets less weird and you get smooth at your transitions. And I'm like, no, I sit and ask awkward questions to teenagers in the chapel. It just is what it is. <laughs> and yeah, it was good. I had a group in like two weeks ago and I was just asking them a bunch of these like questions. Like, what is the meaning of life? What, one of my favorite questions with teenagers, they tend to gauge for this is what makes someone husband or wife material? What's something you look for in a relationship that's deeper? Cause that's an easy thing you can transition into. Well, what does mm -hmm. God want in a relationship with us? Mm -hmm. But so like, I'm sitting with this group of teenagers and I'm asking them all these questions and then their friends walk by and they're like, come on, come on in. So they wave their friends into the chapel and they're like, this guy's going to ask you a bunch of awkward questions. So <laughs> I read it at all with the new people. But, Sounds like yeah. they love it. Oh, lots of them do. And, and yeah. again, it's never a hundred percent. Sometimes yeah. it goes really well and sometimes it goes terrible and you just move on. But yeah, asking questions questions and that spiritual hunger no one's ever asked them what is the meaning of life like what is like what happens when you die those are questions that have to be answered is there a god what does it mean to follow god if god does exist and because they don't get it in school they don't get it at home so often i'm the first person to ever ask them these questions and then when they're leaving the chapel we always offer to pray for people so i just say well how can i be praying for you and I realized that if I get like 30 kids through the chapel in a day, 20 of them have never been prayed for before. If it's their first time at the chapel, that is their first encounter with someone who wants to pray for them. Or even the concept of prayer seems real to them. Because a lot of them come from uh, just from, again, very agnostic sort of households where spiritual things exist, but there's absolutely no practice of them. Right, right. Did I answer your question or did I just tangent for like five minutes? No, that, that's awesome. Great answer. Um, so when, uh, when we study the scriptures, um, one of the things that, that we learn to do, particularly in Bible college, is to exegete 
the scriptures. In other words, we don't just read the scripture for words on the page, but we uh, look at the context. We look at what are the what's the backstory to to the scripture. What's what's going on in the culture, and um, and so in in exegeting the scripture, we come to a much fuller application and understanding of how God is at work. Um, in urban ministry, one of the things that we talk about um, is the idea of exegeting your community, uh, being able to look at the community where you are and um, say, what are the values here? What's, what's the culture all about? And, uh, you know, what, what's really important uh, to people here? And uh, when you think about the mall culture, it really is a, a world unto itself. Um, and and how would what are some things you would observe about um, the value system and and uh, the culture uh, of of retail and uh, the entertainment factor that's at the mall and and just just the whole aspect of what community looks like. Mm. That's a great question. And there's so many different cultures in the mall. Because again, when you put that many people together, mm -hmm. it's huge. It's very big. And people come from all sorts of different, just cultural or national backgrounds. Like the largest group that I get through the chapel, like from teenagers, they're all East Asian teenagers. Like 80% of them are East Asian. Mm -hmm. So that culture unto itself Again, it kind of has sort of some of those Asian stereotypes, but there's a very big focus on schooling, on education, on hard work. Like you are successful when your grades are good, when you have a job, when you like when you're providing. That is a big thing that I've kind of come to learn to work with, with the young people that I work with. Did I expect to work with all Asians? No, but that's, it's great. But it's been a learning curve to work because they'll come to me and be like, oh, I got a 95 on my test. And I'm like, that's great. You did fantastic. And they're like, shut up, that is terrible. <laughs> what, you think a 95 is good? And I'm like, yeah, I got like 80s, I was happy. But again, that there's that culture. Then mall culture with like stores and stuff, is, it's very isolated. People show up, they go to work, they go home. So even though they're surrounded by these vast crowds of people, we're not talking about the actual like employees in the mall culture, it tends to be, I go to work, I do my job, I go home. There's not like this community or being like, oh yeah, we're employees at the mall or anything really like that. So that's something I've been trying to work through and how do I get people engaged in where they are? So one project that I spearheaded is the every, is it Christmas for the last two years while I've been at the chapel. We go to the stores, I get a bunch of churches to bake cookies and each store gets a dozen cookies and a Bible. And the goal is to get a Bible in every break room. And that gives us the opportunity during the busiest season of the year to go on and say, hey, Merry Christmas, here's a gift for you. And we also get to say, how can we pray for you? Because again, mm -hmm. we're a chapel. If you shy away from the spiritual things, why are you there? So you go to the stores, you give them the cookies, you, you offer to pray for them. And that really builds community because like someone actually cares for me outside of just like buying and selling stuff outside of just my job. Mm-hmm. So that often leads to really encouraging things. There's one of the first stores we went into. We went in, we gave them the cookies and the Bible. And we're like, hey, is there any way we can pray for you? And the lady just starts weeping. Wow. Just weeping. And she's like, I just finished writing a letter to God. And then 30 seconds later, you walk in and ask me what I, what, what I need prayer for. Like, you can't make that stuff up. Wow. And so another one of our volunteers on the same day, she was walking through a store. She met a lady. She handed her the box of cookies and asked how she could pray. And it turns out the lady working in the store, she, she's a refugee from Ukraine. Like her family has died in the war. She's alone in Canada. And, and she's like, what do I do next? Wow. And so we get to pray with this lady in her store just by handing out a box of cookies and a Bible. And now my volunteer is now meeting with this lady regularly and building those relationships and the other great thing about going to stores and doing these sort of like really practical outreaches which is just hand you a box of cookies and pray is I get the teenagers involved teenagers showed up after school 
And I'm like, okay, get to work. And so I sent out groups of roving teenagers offering to pray for people with cookies to all the different stores <laughs> in the mall. They got kicked out of a few stores. They'd walk in and one of the guys was like, leave right now. But for the most part, they did really good. And it's really cool when you see some of the teens who they came to the chapel, they knew very little. They've never prayed before. They really didn't understand like prayer or faith. To see these kids who a few months ago wouldn't have prayed, walk into a store and pray with an employee that they met for the first time, blesses my soul. Oh my goodness. That's, so, that's, that's powerful. So my goal is to try and slowly transform the mall into more of a community and not just a bunch of people who work in the same place. Well, it sounds like you'll never be short of um, people to interact with there. <laughs> never not not at all um you know um when i uh was uh church planting uh the church that i pastor uh next month we're celebrating 30 years and uh i planted it and uh so in the early years i went from being a youth pastor in another church to going to work at uh, a mall in windsor and mm. uh, I worked at Tip Top Tailors, and I don't know if they have those out west, but uh, 30 years ago, that was a thing. And uh, so I, I worked uh, in sales and uh, got, it was a, it really interesting to see how in each store, there they had their own little hub, their own little community of workers, and they had their own drama you know, mm -hmm. and, and gossip and, and, and all that kind of thing. And you had the manager who was always, you know, rah, rah, rah sales. And, and, um, so it was a good, good, uh, learning experience. And, uh, you know, I did all right. Uh, I tend to be a little more introverted than extroverted. So, uh, for me, uh, the way that I recharge is to get alone to uh, be by myself and uh, that's where I get recharged uh, extroverts they go into a crowd to get charged and uh, that's how they get energized what about you are you uh, more one way or the other I think I'm fairly in the middle mm -hmm. but I, I lean towards if we're talking specifically about recharging I'm introverted but I spend most of my time extroverted because you have to have sort of that, like, you have to go start the conversation. You have to go engage with the group. You have to go into the store. So I mainly work in extroversion, and I mm -hmm. think I do okay in it. But, yeah, I definitely need that alone time from time to time. Yeah. Especially, like, again, I have more teenagers than I ever expected. On our Thursday youth drop-in, sometimes I get students in the chapel from 1 o'clock in the afternoon till 9. Wow. That's the, the full eight hours. Because the Catholic schools get off at 1230. So they're there all afternoon. The public schools get off at 3.30. So they're there all evening. And by the time that's over, I'm usually exhausted. I'll bet you but, are. <laughs> yeah, there's been a few times where I'm like, okay, there's like 15 of you who've been here for the last hour and I'm done with you. Just go go get dinner. Go, yep. go. And then come back in 30 minutes and I will be so much happier. I remember that feeling in the mall of uh, being... Uh, if you had a, had a real busy shift and you're really hustling and, and, uh, when you, the end of shift came and you walked out to your car to go home, um, I, I described that feeling as being mauled. Mm. That was, <laughs> that was the, the word that best described how I felt, but, uh, yeah. And I, I'm like you too. Um, the, um, uh, though that I'm fairly introverted, um, uh, ministry propels you into extroversion all the time. And, and there's actually a, uh, a word uh, that they use, ambivert, that uh, just like a person could be ambidextrous and use both hands, uh, the ambivert is somebody who can um, do okay as a, in, with their introversion or extroversion. And it sounds like that's, that's how you are too. Um, uh, well, um, now, it's interesting, too, we talk about the culture of the mall, um, but you worked in a very different culture at Father's House. Yes. Uh, some of the most vulnerable citizens in Edmonton 
um, some of the uh, the ones with um, the most um, uh, obvious uh, social problems, uh, you'd you'd be ministering to them, and that must be quite a quite a change of gears to go from uh, street ministry to mall ministry, and and uh, how are they how are they different, and how are they actually maybe the same? Fair. That's a great question. Yeah. Anything is different than like street ministry is what I've realized. No matter mm -hmm. where you go, it's going to be different. So street ministry, when you're working with people in such, it, who, who are just in the vulnerable state that they're in, you're always dealing with basic needs. You're always dealing with just the lowest common denominator, if that makes sense. And addiction is huge downtown. It's huge in most street ministry places. So you're always dealing with people who are either high or coming down from a high or looking to get high. There's a big amount of that. The other demographic downtown is those who are low income. Like they have a place to stay. They're not addicted to anything, yeah. but they tend to just not have the ability to work. They might have some special needs. So they have a place, but they still need, they need extra food. So they come to the drop-in. So they still need extra yeah. clothes. So they come to the church. So I find working with the downtown group, working with the homeless, working with low income, you're dealing very much on sort of a base, like these are the needs that need to be met, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're dealing with food, mm -hmm. shelter, and then addiction is another big one. Mm -hmm. uh, so the switch to the mall, the mall's been a very big switch. A, the mall has security, which is nice because father's house is just like, okay, there's, there's the three of us pastors chilling down here. You are the so, security. Yeah. And I'm like yeah. five foot eight and nothing. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can tell you stories about that, but I'll let Pastor maybe share some of those with you. Uh, so yeah. So the mall culture is so different because you're engaging people at a very different level because most of them at the mall have their needs met. And like, I still work with homeless at the mall, but it tends to be in more of a, hey, let me pray with you. Now I'm going to give you resources and say, go catch a bus to get a resource to help you. Mm -hmm. Because lots of times the homeless will come to the mall and they just want to like sleep in the chapel. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. And you might be like, wow, Braden, that's rude. And to me, I'd say, well, they can't get help in the chapel. They can't get the help they need here. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll print them off. I'll send them on the bus routes. The buses will take you to the shelters for free. And I'll say, hey, if you go to this place, you can actually get in contact with someone who can get you a house. You can get in contact with the food bank who can get you the food you need. I can give you a snack for, for like, that'll keep you good for an hour. They can actually get you on a plan to get you out of this. Mm -hmm. So working with the homeless in the mall is very different than working with it downtown. And we've seen, like, I was working with a guy for the past about six months. He was living in the River Valley in Edmonton, he was, like, tenting and stuff. And he came to the chapel and he started connecting with some of the chaplains. Chaplain just literally means someone who works in the chapel. So yeah, simple, eh? So connecting with, uh, connecting with him, he connected with a bunch of people. He, he stopped doing some of his drugs choices. He got himself a house and he turned himself around because he used the chapel as a place for spiritual care. And then he went out and fixed the things that he needed to fix, which was great. So the difference between father's house is father's house, you're in the thick of it. There's like, you are downtown, you are in between all the different shelters and it's always chaos. Like there was one rough year where people were overdosing. Like it was a multiple time a week occurrence and you just responded instead of pastoring downtown, you were more of a paramedic downtown, which is wild. So the mall is so different because now I'm working with teenagers. Teenagers care about very different things than the homeless. Because like teenager drama is like, oh my goodness, I broke up with this girl and now I'm sad. Oh no. It's just yeah. <laughs> like, it's just their problems tend to be very different, mm -hmm. but they're still problems. And you know, in teenager terms, like, uh, like in, in brain development, you know, with the amygdala versus the frontal lobe and which develops right. first, it's the amygdala, which is the emotional center develops first, then the frontal lobe. So the amygdala is like, so they have full adult emotions, but they don't have full adult logic. That's right. why teenagers are so wild. Mm -hmm. So they feel very deeply, but sometimes they make terrible, terrible decisions. <laughs> However, they're still, how they, how they contrast is there's still a need for Christ in all of it. 
so many people downtown, their lives were broken and messed up and you could visibly see the brokenness. But with the teenagers, with the people who frequent the mall, the brokenness is just hidden a little under the surface. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a lot who come to me. There was one time I had this teenager, I've, I saw him one time, he came into the chapel and I talked with him for about an hour. And he told me all about how he's never met his dad. Wow. And, in, and you could just see the weight on him. You could just see, like, he was just so distraught that his mother would not tell him who his father was and that he's never going to meet his father. And that, that, that was just eating inside of him. Because I met him as a stranger. Mm-hmm. And that's the first thing is that brokenness shine, shown through. And so that's a place where we can say, well, you may not have a father, but God is your heavenly father who wants you to follow him and he won't fail you like your earthly father because he doesn't leave. He doesn't forsake. He doesn't grow tired. And you get to speak into people's lives like that. The other thing that's I've noticed is huge about those sort of hidden hurts is divorce. So many teens come from either divorced households. And so they only have one parent. So they're missing the other parent, which often means that, they, they don't either have a mom or they don't have a dad. And it tends to be that they're with their mothers. So they don't have much male influence in their life. So I'll talk to them and I'll see them like day in and day out and realize that I'm one of the only adults who actually connects with them on a consistent basis. And the other thing is, even if the parents aren't divorced, a lot of the kids I work with, they come from uh, immigrant families. And so these families have sacrificed a lot to come to Canada. Like they come again, mainly from Asia in my experience. And so the parents have sacrificed their jobs. They've given up good jobs back in China to then get a job in Canada that pays a quarter of what it does so that their kids can have a better life. However, taking way less paying jobs means that both parents work insane hours. So like I once met with a kid, he came into the chapel, he was vomiting. He was sick. It was just like, he was very sick. And I'm like, can your family pick you up? Like you are, you should not be at a mall right now. You should be home. It's the middle of a snowstorm, like, like December in Alberta. So it's snowing. It's miserable. Kids sick. I'm like, Oh, can your mom pick you up? And he's like, no, my mom works till like 1130. And I'm like, where's your dad? He's like, Oh, my dad works in Egypt. I only see my dad twice a year. Wow. And so I'm like, well, let's figure out a way to get you home and get you safe. And so we got him home and figured all that stuff out. But like, I find a lot of the kids who come to the mall consistently, they do because where else are they going to go? Their parents are working. They just go home to be home alone at that point. And who wants to do that? What What a profound place God has called you to. Thank you. It's very unique and it's very, it has its own challenges, but its own rewards. Mm-hmm. Again, huge, a huge amount of the teenagers I work with come from like a family of brokenness. I met another, I was talking to another teen just like last week and he's just like, oh, I finally got to see my father after six years. Come on. And he was super like, and I remember praying with him before because he's like, Brink, you pray for me. I'm going to go meet with my father. I haven't seen him in six years. What if it goes poorly? Like there's these little things where, where I think, I think in our society, there's been a breakdown of family mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that has such an impact on young people and probably older people, but I mainly work with the younger people. Yeah. Yeah. And you just see the lack of the family really, it hurts people and it drives them to look out community, look for community in other places. And who would expect them to end up at a chapel in West Edmonton Mall to be a place where they found a community, but it's such a good opportunity to share Christ, to share the church community with them. Yeah. You really are the, the church to, to the people in the mall. And is there a um, is there a, a a bridge like to uh, youth that you're working with? Do they eventually? Do some of them end up uh, going to a church somewhere, or is it like, kind of the you're the only church they they know and may ever know? So my goal is to get them into churches, is to get them into a local church, and then need to be sort of like like a discipleship resource, someone they can come to if they have questions and stuff. But I still want them in a local church. The chapel is not a church. 
-hmm. It is an outreach. It is missional outpost is very much designed for intro to faith, intro to Christ. And it doesn't, because of its interdenominational nature, it doesn't tend to go much deeper because like it doesn't teach secondary doctrines. It says you got to go right. to church and they'll yeah. handle that stuff. It just deals with primary doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the biggest challenge is getting people connected in churches. It has mm -hmm. been my, it's been a struggle for me because I, I've had kids come to Christ and then I'll go with them to a church for a few weeks. But as soon as I stop going to a church around their house, they stop going. Mm, right. Right. If so they don't, if they don't develop that uh, deep, deep sense of belonging in a church, yes. they're not going to go. Exactly. So I've talked to churches in the city and they're like, well, how do I get people from, from your ministry? You're seeing people come to Christ. How do I get them into my church? And I said, you need to send volunteers. Yeah. Because if they have a relationship with someone, and that person, they have a relationship, says, hey, I'm going to church. Do you want me to pick you up? Or, hey, I'm going to church. Let's get lunch after. And then yeah. build that connection. That is so huge because the relationship is what pulls people from the mall to the church. So I've been able to bring students down to Father's house. And some of them come more consistently than others. Mm -hmm. But it's it's a very big challenge. And Father's House poses a whole other challenge of how do you get parents to say yes to send your kid to some <laughs> church in the most ghetto part of the city? Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember one time the students came. I had like six of them. They came to Father's House. They came to feed the homeless before church and then stay for church. And this one, this one homeless guy, he like barges through the door, but naked. And so <laughs> then like, so then the teenagers are there. And there's this naked guy. And so I was like, go get Braden, go get Braden. So I run upstairs and there's like three teenagers and a naked guy. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what am I? What is, what is my life? So I get the naked guy out and I'm like, oh, okay. Then the bigger challenge was to stop all the teenagers from making jokes around the old ladies. The old ladies were not finding the jokes as hilarious as the teenagers thought they were. <laughs> that, that tends to be a, a common problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But so, so the father's house is great, but definitely has challenges in getting parents to bring their kids down. Mm -hmm. However, there is one family who met them at the mall and now him and his dad come every week to feed the homeless at father's house. Beautiful. Exactly. We had another kid from the mall. Sorry, one more story real quick. Met yeah, him at the mall. Yeah. Like he came to our youth drop-in and stuff and he kind of grew up in church, had a bit of a knowledge of it. Uh, but his family hadn't attended since before, since pre-COVID. They haven't been to any church service, hadn't done anything online, just kind of stepped away. And so I was talking with him and he gave his heart to the Lord and he wanted to get baptized. So then I was like, okay, let's go to Father's house and get baptized. And so his family all came because they're Christian. They just haven't been to church in so long. Yeah. And his mother was just giving a little testimony before he got baptized. And she's like, I'm so thankful that one day my son came home and was like, mom, let's go to church. And that came out of him going to the mall. And so now his family has been attending father's house because, because the mother's son came to a mall, found a little chapel, and now they're back in church. That's so inspiring, Braden. Um, I got one last question for you. Um, Ask away. All right. So if you had to think about um, people who had a profound influence, um, on, on your walk with God, uh, you know, one or two people that, uh, you would say most influenced, um, your life as, as a Christian, um, who are they and what did, did you learn from them? Well, this might be a bit of a broken record, but pastor Debbie, again, huge influence yeah. on my life. Like I've worked with her for years. And I think her biggest thing is she just genuinely loves people. She does. She genuinely loves them. And sometimes that's not always my strongest point. Sometimes I'm like, you've made your bed. You can lie in it. Whereas she, <laughs> she shows so much more grace. And it's something that, that inspires me to show more grace. That's been a huge, a huge thing. Mm -hmm. And then like, I also, again, I'm going to repeat Bob Gal. Because Bob Gal is inspiring in that, like, he has very non-traditional experience. And so what I've been looking into is, like, I do a lot of outreach. I do a lot of non-traditional church work. 
And so it, it's great to be able to be like, Bob, what do you think about this? Or Bob, what's your ideas on this? And just to like pick his brain because Bob has a thousand ideas. Mm-hmm. And then, so it's like, so it's so good to have people in my life that can like balance out. Like, so you've done this sort of stuff. You've been a fundraising sort of missions person for a long time. How does that look like for me? And so, yeah, just, they've been very inspiring in my life would be probably two of the biggest people who are close to me. Well, I'm, um, I'm not surprised that, uh, that you picked those two because, uh, they spoke so well of you. And, uh, usually the people that, uh, speak well of us and know our character, uh, they tend to be our mentors. Mm. Um, yeah. So, um, I'm also, uh, really, uh, excited by the fact that you're in process to become a Mission Canada worker. Mm-hmm. Um, Mission Canada really is uh, that that creative agency where things like uh, hanging out with uh, South Asian youth at West Edmonton Mall uh, can be uh, legitimized and supported. And, and uh, just hearing your stories, uh, you know, you're you're doing doing the work of an evangelist and and uh you're making disciples and uh if if you weren't there uh those kids weren't going to be reached Mm. maybe somebody else would i mean the holy spirit is endlessly creative to find people to reach people but uh you're so well placed and uh just uh really excited to um to hear hear your stories and uh to to see where god takes you in the days to come Braden, uh it's been great chatting with you today and uh looking forward to uh getting this uh podcast edited and and uh, sent out and uh and uh now that you're um getting in queue with mission canada we'll be seeing more of each other too so looking forward to that yeah but, me too all right uh, God bless you, my new friend, and uh, we'll we'll see you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you would like to reach out to Braden Brodeur uh, and learn more about Marketplace Chapel, uh, you can find that in the show notes at sidewalkskylinepodcast.com. On our next episode, we're going to be going back to the Our City Scarborough Conference that was held in the fall. And uh, Bernard Tam is one of the pastors at the Living Room Church, Toronto. And uh, he's having a, just a frank uh, session where he talks about some of the joys and some of the challenges of trying to do house church uh, when you live in an apartment building and uh, when all of your other uh, people are spread out around the city, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, but uh, just a great Uh, session. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So come on back for our next episode. And until that time, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. You're listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. Studio 61.